Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs. Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Talk shoe. Talk recorded live. It is 7.36 p.m. March 5th, 2015. I am up in Bangor, Maine, in the way far corner of the United States, um, surrounded by Canada, really, on the Atlantic Ocean. There's not a whole lot that surrounds us other than Canada and the Atlantic Ocean. A little bit down at the bottom where we can go into um, New Hampshire. And um, But up here, we're kind of like, you know, where do we go? We go to Canada if we want to can't even do that anymore. You have to have a passport, and I don't have one, so I can't go to Canada. Um, <clears throat> like the old days, we used to, you know. We used to go to Canada just for a ride in the afternoon. You can't do that anymore. You can't go visit your relatives or anything unless you have a passport. But that's another issue. <clears throat> um, I was scanning down through my list of links from the past week to see what it was that was catching my eye during the week. And honestly, things are still going so fast now that when I look at my notes, I don't even remember what they are. I don't remember what I, why I saved them or whatever. So I had to look at them and read through them to see why I saved them. And um, some of it's just my um, amateur or whatever you want to call it, my uh, my spare time investigations and research into people and how they're related to each other so I can figure out why they're targeting certain individuals. Or, you know, maybe something I got interested in that happened five years ago that I think might relate to some of the current issues we're dealing with, and I'll keep a link. And when I go back and look at it, I'm like, why on earth did I save this? It's like five years old. Well, it's because I found somebody's name or some date or some place that related to something I was thinking about that day. And that's the only way I can keep track of everything is to make a page of links. So every week I have these links. And um, then if I say, well, I wonder if I saved it so I can go back and review it again, it's usually on there because I keep the page open all the time. And um, that's just the, the technique I've developed over, what, four years or whatever I've been doing this. Um, as far as the onward progression of of um, life and um, feeling like we have a battle going every day and whether or not we're winning or not, you know, I know that it doesn't really matter in the short term whether we win. It's in the long term, and I know we will win in the long term. I have no doubts whatsoever about it because I always believe that the good is going to overcome the evil, and all we have to do is keep exposing the evil not helping them to continue on because most of them have to operate in the darkness. They have to make sure that they keep everything they do secret. And it's a, you know, a dirty kind of way of operating in the background. And we just need to keep showing people there they are. There they are. Point your fingers right at them if you have to. Hey, look at that guy. See him? He just met with this guy over here. And what are they up to? You know, that kind of thing. Um... It is tiring some days, <laughs> and some days you just have little victories. So anyway, that's just, you know, 
Valium says Jesus is winning. Um, and that Field was in Great Britain a few days ago. Yes, he was. And there were some awesome videos that came out. I was so happy to see them because he doesn't mince any words. He says right straight out what he thinks. And um, he's been uh, exposing the shadow government, the people that are running the really bad systems behind the scenes. A lot of it comes right out of the city of London. Not London as London, but the city of London, which is the big banking center there. Um, It's its own corporation, basically. And there's a lot of different types of things that are going on in the world that are that are mostly just to make money for some of the upper echelon of rich people in the world. And it's not what you think. It's not because they created a product that, you know, they sell and people want to make their profits. What they do is they they use their systems that are worldwide global type systems, electronics, and they use those systems to skim off every single thing we do or to blatantly outright steal it. Um, they they get um, reinsurance, they call it. They take catastrophe bonds on different types of unlikely events, and then they make sure the events happen and they collect. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, best of both worlds. You make money no matter what happens. You make money if one of the towers of the World Trade Center comes down, and you make money if both of the towers of the World Trade Center come down. And probably you make money even if neither one of them come down and it's just a big you know, mess because something exploded. But that is, that is how the money's being made. It's how it's happened for hundreds of years. Insurance. You know, you insure something and then you destroy it and you collect. There's different names for it. There's, you know, some colloquial names I won't use, but I'm sure you've heard them before. And every time that somebody has their house burned down or their business burned down when they're having financial issues, what's the first thing that happens? An investigation. And the fire marshal comes and he tries to figure out how that fire started. So, you know, grease a few palms with some money and all of a sudden it was an accident. Anyway, I was wondering today about the Delta jet that went off the runway at LaGuardia and whether or not that was a message back to Field McConnell because Field McConnell gets paid his retirement from Delta, and they're not happy with him right now. I'm sure that most of the people in the upper levels of the Federal Aviation, um, FAA, Federal Aviation, what's the other thing, Authority? I can't remember the second A and the um, Pilots Association, and some of the people that he named individually as to why we're having all these um, air disasters. He came right out and named a bunch of them again this past weekend. And it's on YouTube. It's on videos. You can see those if you'd like. He was interviewed, did a little skit in a car, one of them. Um, I haven't seen the actual conference presentation he did yet, but it may be around. Over in Great Britain, they're dealing with a lot of the same corruption types of issues that we are. And when people get together and they talk about the things that they've experienced and what they've learned, a lot of times they find out that there are other people that have found the same information and have come to the same conclusions. There isn't a whole lot hidden right now. Um, And as time goes by, there's less hidden. So 
you know, I like I always say, keep your eyes and ears open. Use your own judgment because you've been alive long enough to have seen some of these things more than once. What are the common denominators in some of these scenes? Common sense also will tell you um, when you look at something whether or not it seems plausible that it could have even happened in that way. Like, who was sitting there with the video camera to take the pictures of something that supposedly happened on the spur of the moment? How could you manage to see something that happened on the spur of the moment? You know? We have a lot of those kinds of things in our history. A picture of something happening right when it happened. How would they have known to be there with a camera? You know, you know this in your head, but you don't always think of it because your brain is constantly taken off task to go look at something, the latest, the greatest, the most outrageous thing that happened that day. You know, oh, it's a big storm. Oh, my gosh, Harrison Ford crashed in an airplane this afternoon. I'm sad about that. I don't know what it was, but the first thing I thought of is, did it have autopilot on it? You know, it was an old plane, I guess. But there's just things going on just out of sight, and they're not buried very deep anymore. You can look right at the same people all the time and see what they're up to and kind of figure it out. Hillary Clinton's under a lot of um, scrutiny right now because of what she was doing with her email. And you watch the national news and you see them talking about her emails and how she wants the public to see them now and everything. Um, It's a little too late, don't you think? (laughs) Don't you think that it's a little too late? She hasn't been Secretary of State for a while. Um and she really thinks she's going to be president, which cracks me up. She is, like, a mess. (laughs) She's just a mess. Um, I was thinking, you know, she probably at the time when she was doing this figured she would never have to worry about it because she's one of the people that's in that shadow government. She's one of the ones that works on that stuff. Um, And, you know, we still don't have everything out about Benghazi but it's not what people are being told. I have my theories on that. I guess while I'm talking about it, I may as well give you my theory. My theory is that they had planned this event for the big splash, you know, the false flag type of thing, and that um, Christopher Stevens, who was the ambassador, was also a friend of Hillary Clinton's. I don't know if you know that or not. He was from Chicago area too, I believe, that whole group. And I think that it was supposed to be that he would be either kidnapped or attacked, and that I really believe kidnapped because I thought they would probably hold him hostage. And then right before the election, um, the United States would swoop in and rescue him. And it would be such a great thing that Obama would instantly be popular and reelected because they like to do a surprise, an October surprise. So it would have been right before the election when he would be rescued or They would bargain and trade him for somebody or whatever was going to happen. And that that was the reason why they waited and their response was because it was supposed to be a staged event and they had to have the time period, they had to have that delay. And what happened was we had some very patriotic Americans who said, there's no way we're sitting here and wait when our embassy is under attack. And it wasn't even the main embassy. It was just an office. It was a consulate building type thing. So they went over. And the people that were the locals that were involved in this staged event 
saw that as betrayal, that um, there was something else going on that wasn't planned, and it was a betrayal, and they said, we'll fix that, we'll just, you know, we'll kill him. And that's what I think happened. I think it was a botched, staged event. I might not have every detail of it right, but that makes sense to me. The The total picture of that makes sense to me, because why else would somebody delay for hours a response for something that took these four people that went over there 15 minutes to get there and they were refused they were refused when they asked if they could go help so something was really wrong with the whole picture the picture of all of them sitting around the screen and watching supposedly what was going on over there um showed that Obama was there but he actually wasn't he was photoshopped in it just you know I don't think that she'll ever be president, but, you know, weirder things have happened. I don't know. Okay, so let's see what is going on, what everybody is talking about in here. Um, they are they're talking about different types of historical events. Okay. Um, the thing that's going on in Boston right now is is the um, trial of one of the Sarnayev brothers, the one that survived, regarding the Boston Marathon bombing. Um, During this past week, um, Steve Martin called in to the Aristic Watchmen show and was talking about some different types of evidence, picture evidence or videos or whatever that he had been studying on and writing about. Um, And I haven't followed all of that. Um, but I did hear some of the the show this week, so if you want to, if you are interested in that, you could go back and listen to that show and hear what he had to say. But he was basically talking about um, the sister-in-law and I forget who the other female was. Two females running at the end of the race, running away from the scene, um, and that he felt that 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 had been suppressed. That piece that was seen on this video or photograph. I can't remember which it was. The thing that I've seen around lately, too, is a reminder that this person was carrying a white backpack, but they always showed a black backpack with the uh, pressure cooker bomb in it. So there were people around online writing blogs or posting saying that this man was not guilty of the crime that they have accused him of, even though his lawyer says that he did it. Every story I've heard said that his lawyer said he did it. Um, I don't know if language is an issue with these people, whether or not he understands English well. I don't know what exactly happened that day, but I know there were a lot of things that were amiss that day, and we knew it right away. A bunch of us were on um, Able Danger listening to that program when the event occurred. And as soon as we heard the event occurred, many of us started saving links and um, accounts of what was going on because we recognized false flags in the past that the story changes over time. And we saved as much as we could that day. And we shared things that day amongst ourselves within the chat room of that show. And some of the things have faded away since then. One of the... One of the um, facts that I heard at the time, which I've repeated several times to people, but I'm not sure they retain it, was that the race had 
a memorial-type tone to it. Um, it was supposed to be like a memorial for the Sandy Hook victims. The families were invited to be there, and I don't know how many of the families were actually there, but they were to be there at the end of the finish line. Um, and every mile, I believe it was, towards the end of the race had, a, had dedications to certain children that were killed at Sandy Hook, supposedly. And I found that to be very odd, especially in light of the fact that many people thought this was a false flag event. Why would you have the Sandy Hook families there towards the end of the race where this bomb was going to go off? Um, the other thing about it was that there were men there that day that were dressed in a certain way that were communicating with each other that were supposedly connected to one of these um, private security um, companies, not local police or anything, but a private security company, and that they were, the outfits they were wearing, the shoes, the um, clothing, all of it was something recognizable to people that were working in that type of, you know, type of um, um, profession, that they recognized it right off, that that's who these people worked for. And they were carrying black backpacks that looked like the one that the pressure cooker bomb was in that was photographed the most. Um, there were just a lot of strange things about that particular day. And, you know, people can look at it from different angles and see different things depending on what their background is. I guess that's, that's pretty much it. The other thing that I found out... Um, from hearing Steve Martin speak this week is that he's published a few books and, and um, they're, I guess, historical novels, which is kind of interesting. Um, I haven't looked into what they are yet or if it's anything that's interesting to me, but um, the only title I remember was Untrammeled. So, and, um, so if you like reading historical novels, you might want to see if you could pick one of those up. We haven't heard a lot from Steve lately, and I think it's because he's been staying back and, and doing more writing and researching. So he has a lot in his head probably right now, too. Um, I see Dottie's here tonight. They had a good show last night on Maine Exposed. They were talking about the... Um, the we, we're starting to realize that we shouldn't be calling it a case because it's not really a case, even though it had a docket number the uh, the um, main Supreme Judicial Court, the meeting that they had, I guess, I don't know what else you call it, meeting, they were supposed to make a decision on whether or not the governor should have to keep going back to the Attorney General to ask for more funding um, for private representation in a case that she left. She was involved in it and then left it. She said she wouldn't defend the governor's side. So we're waiting. An oral hearing, Dottie says. So we're waiting for something to occur with that, if we're going to ever hear a decision or not. Um, the attacks on our governor continue. That was another thing that happened right, I believe it was right after last week. It might have been Friday night. I'm not sure exactly. Let's see if I can find it because it was really... It was really um <clears throat> it was a nasty attack. It was something that really made me upset again, so I started looking into who these people were because I told you I'm going for individuals 
now I'm looking for individuals to expose their names. And I don't think that's unfair because they are attacking people and they're certainly using names. So I think it's totally fair. Um, the woman that decided to attack uh, the governor and also our uh, very nice, honest men in Maine that are going after trying to restore the Constitution and have been attacked since, I told you, like last summer we were seeing it really vicious attacking and that it was going to have an effect on Maine in the future because this person opened a can of worms and his name is Mike Tipping. He opened a can of worms because I think he thought if he just wrote whatever he believed to be true and put it in a book and then went and promoted his book all over the place and wrote in the Bangor Daily News that everybody would just believe it and they would vote for Mike Michaud for governor. And um, it wasn't exactly how things worked. What worked, what did happen was that our political parties became more vicious towards each other. And in turn, the people in Maine who are related to each other, know each other through work, um, were friends in high school, <laughs> you know, the thing I always say, 1,300,000 people with, uh, you know, a fairly small percentage of those people who are very active, starting to turn on each other, and that um, it would have repercussions, and it has. Anyway, this is what she wrote, because it made me very upset when I read it. It was posted on February 26th at the Maine Progressives Warehouse, and this woman started this website as a way for her to, I guess, um, write things because she used to write for newspapers and stuff, and I'm not sure she's doing any of that anymore. She also takes uh, pictures, because on her Facebook page she shows places where she's done photography for like media and things like that. On the day that Governor Paula Page swore Maine's three constitutional officers into office, albeit breaking from modern-day tradition with two behind closed doors in his cabinet room and the third publicly in the Hall of Flags, there were a few other people of note outside the governor's office and trying to get a few moments with LePage, to wit his chums, Phil Merletti and Wayne Leach. You remember the ones, along with the rustic watchman Jack McCarthy, that Mike Tipping made famous last year? Here's a timeline to refresh your memory. The timeline's a link. Anywho, seems that a little birdie told these fellows that they would be well served to submit an amicus brief to the Maine Supreme Court as part of Governor LePage's going to the Maine Supreme Judicial Court to squeal on the oh-so-very-mean Attorney General of Janet Mills, who won't let Paul play with all the toys. He hasn't been so mad since the Legislative Council made him move his TV from behind the stairs. But back to Marletti and McCarthy, because there is more than a dash of irony in them filing the papers in the first place. As was questioned by Portland Press-Herald's Greg Kasich, did they recognize the Supreme Court? It is a wonder to be sure, but see for yourselves. Um, it is a wonder to be sure is put in bold. And then it's got in the state of Maine, Supreme Judicial Court with the address and everything and the docket number, the brief and the matter of request for opinions of the justices. And it's got, um, I'm trying to see if it's the entire thing. Oh, it's the... Um, it's the brief that they put in, the group, um, Dottie and, and Lisa, 
DuPont, and uh, it's the it's the one that they put in. I read that or read part of it to you like a couple weeks ago. Um, and I think that the rest of it just relates to that. And then at the bottom of it, it says, um, now this is where the legal clown car gets a tad crowded. The above motion for leave to participate in the oral argument Merletti and McCarthy asserted today in court that their vast experience as researchers is required by the court for the court to fully understand the case. Needless to say, this motion was summarily denied by the court. Indeed, justice is blind. And I don't know um, how they got that Phil and um, Phil Merletti and Jack McCarthy were in court because I don't believe either of them were there. But anyway, facts get in the way sometimes with um, some of the stuff these people write. The title of this is called Maine Sovereign Citizens, Marletti McCarthy Resurface as part of LePage versus Mills Judicial Case. And um, I put this up a couple of places within a day or two of it um, to draw attention to it. and. And the the thing is that the people in Maine, they listen to this stuff and lap it up because they have their cliques, they have their friends, and they won't believe that their friends could ever do anything wrong. So they defend each other, and they you know they have their cheerleading group is what I call them. So and on the up on the side of it is uh, Twitter updates. So you know people that are passing around their political stories and everything um, via Twitter, they show up on here and they, you know, they update. So it's a good way to keep track of some of the attacks that are going on, but this one was just, it was C-R-A-P crap. And here's the link to it. Okay. So when I saw that, I looked all over the page, and I'm like, who wrote this anyway? This is a bunch of crap again. Is this like Mike Tipping or something? So I looked all over this page, and I couldn't find it. But I look on people's Facebook pages to find out who they congratulate for it or how they um, draw attention to things like this, like, hey, that was a great piece you wrote, or I'm glad you put that up on your whatever it is. And I found out who wrote it So from another source, in other words, because I don't believe her name is on there anyway, anywhere, and I'll give you her Facebook page. Here she is, Andy Parkinson. Um, her Facebook page says that she is the creator and editor of Maine Progressive's warehouse at Maine Progressive. Her past, Dig Portland and the New Maine Times, lives in Monmouth from Holden, and um, says that she was at Food Swap two hours ago. So the people that are doing this political type of, type of thing are very public on their Facebook pages because that's how they get their, you know, their big entourage, you know. And her thing at the top of her page says, I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Now, isn't that a nice thing to put up there? It's kind of funny in a way, but it isn't funny when it's directed at someone that is an honest person trying to do honest work for the main people. Okay, um, her top post right now is 
got three hours of today's testimonies uploading overnight. She It says um, Andy Parkinson, which is her nickname is Andy, via Peggy Rotundo, and I think Peggy Rotundo is in the legislature. Dottie probably would know that. It says LePage plan to cut reimbursement for mental health services meets resistance. So it's an article from MPBN or a story. And just down, you know, it's a typical um, political type page where people are informing each other. And I don't have any problems with that. I don't even have problems with people who don't agree with me on how things should be done in life. What I don't agree with is people attacking other people to harm them because they feel that the end justifies the means. So the reason why I exposed her name is because she's hiding her name from her website that she's putting hit pieces on and apparently feels that she is, you know, above everybody else as far as, you know, what she does, that it's fine. So, yeah, that sovereign citizen thing, I've tried to, I see Leon saying about the sovereign citizen, I've seen people try to... um, defend that. I mean, I've I've called people on using that terminology many times and they just continue on because they don't see that there's anything wrong with saying it. They don't understand the entire um, issue or situation, but yet they're going to repeat it to everybody they know and put it in the newspaper because they have the newspaper as their uh, mouthpiece. And it's the Bangor Daily News is pretty bad, but the Portland Press Herald is like the worst. I mean, it, Shelley Pingree is a senate is a uh, representative in Maine for Southern Maine, and her husband owns the newspaper. There's no way that those two things should be like you know mixed together, but they are. So anyway, there's there's Andy's Facebook page. You can keep an eye on what she's up to because um, she puts it out there. They don't even hide anything. I haven't checked around for our Secretary of State and our Attorney General this week, but they also have open Facebook pages, and they put, they're right out there with the comments they make about people. They don't hide it at all. And I don't know um, how the, the law is going to shake out on this eventually, because to me, if they're going to make things like revenge porn and all these things they talk about, about people publishing about people, um that if it's an open Facebook, it is the same thing as a public communication. It's the same thing as if you went out to the grocery store and said, you know, these people are criminals and they steal money from their their boss or whatever. You cannot create harm for somebody and just expect to walk around like, hey, I was just having a private conversation. Calling somebody on the phone and talking about somebody is a lot different than posting it on a Facebook page that's open and you have an office in the state. But anyway... Andy Parkinson is one of the ones that is helping very much so. She and her entourage are helping to promote a negative image of the governor and try to take him down at every opportunity, and it's it's not even hidden. So there's another name. We've got we've got her. We've got Mike Tipping. We've got Mario Moretto, who keeps his name keeps coming up. He doesn't care whether his stuff is accurate either, and Jack has had a couple of go-rounds with him. Jack tried to actually settle things and make things right, and all he got was more attacks. 
Um, there was someone named Bill Nemitz at the Portland Press-Herald, but I, I'm not sure he's still writing. I haven't seen anything recent. And the last I heard, he was ill. So, and Amy Freed, she floats around the Facebook pages of people that I know pretty well. So I see her name every so often. And when I get a chance, I give her a little dig. And the reason is I want her to remember I'm still there. I don't know if you if you guys heard me talk about uh, running into to Amy Freed on someone's Facebook page one night because they were talking about some issue and I was on the other side. And she started saying things back and I brought up about Mike Tipping lying. And um, she went and got Mike Tipping. He showed up and I told him what I thought too. And they kind of both drifted away. So take the opportunities. That's it. So... Um, Bell Am says, "Why are they mad at him?" Yeah, they're after him because they want to keep the power. We have we've had a long run of Democrats in Maine, and we're in a really bad position right now. And Governor LePage is trying to rectify some of the issues that happened. And everybody's looking at it from a different aspect. Some are looking at it from a business aspect, some from a labor aspect, and some from you know taxation, and some from human rights and and taking care of people's needs and that kind of thing. And they can't get beyond their own particular little issue. And I think that the governor is trying to look at the bigger picture, and that's what I want. I don't want it just to be about uh, funding a shelter, which is one of the things that came up recently, was that um, there was money that was being wasted in Portland and there was a big article in the newspaper about it. Well, the Democratic side was saying that these poor people are suffering because of LePage. It's LePage's fault that, you know, he's cutting money to them. And the article stated right in it that people were wasting money there. There were people who were staying at the shelter who had funds in the bank, like 20000 or more in the bank. And so people that didn't bother to read any of the stuff, they were saying, you know, well, it's not right. You never know. I mean, maybe they're mentally ill. Maybe they've got issues at home. They don't even know they have money in the bank. But there was information in the article that said some of these people stayed there an average of four years almost. That's not an emergency situation at that point. And um, they get paid if people stay. They get paid after a certain amount of reimbursement. They get paid, you know, more. So there's an incentive for the city to have people in a bad condition, I mean, in a really desperate, needy condition because the city makes money off of it. It's a hard thing for people to see because they, if you have a good heart, you can't always see those things. But somebody who manages money or has taken care of businesses, it's a padding type of thing. It's like, you know, if you can get some more money, let's do it this way. So... Um, I don't know how much accuracy there is in the figures because I always take everything like that with a grain of salt. People will find whatever they think will support their case. But one of the comments that people had written on one of the articles I read said that they were getting reimbursed like $130 per person a night. Well, if that's the case, what the heck are they doing putting these people on a mat on the floor, sharing you know, a general area with all these people sleeping in the same room? Think of the liability of that or the even the health issues with that. If you have $130 per person, why don't you just send them over to the motel and let them have a nice clean room with a shower and everything and some privacy? 
but it isn't about that, and we all know that. When you get into tough conditions, um, who's there to help you, really? These people are there to make money off you. That's what they're there for. So I'm I'm on the side of let's help people directly, let's help people in a more efficient way. Meanwhile, I have friends, relatives, neighbors, et cetera, who think it's cruel and, you know, how dare the governor cut money. He cut money. Initially, I remember when the whole thing was coming out that they were busing people or flying people into Maine that weren't even United States citizens, and that Portland had said to him, we're taking them anyway. And he said, we're not going to pay for those people. They're not from Maine. They're not even our people. Why should we be paying to support them? Well, my gosh, the outcry. How can you be so cruel? These people are here to try to get, you know, whatever it is, um, asylum. They're asylum seekers or they're immigrants just like your ancestors. No, not just like our ancestors. Most of our ancestors came here and they were processed through and allowed in because they met the criteria. They didn't just get bussed in by politicians. And, you know, the more I hear the arguments about it, I mean, it's really sad because people can't see what's plainly in front of their face, which is that these people didn't walk here from Central America. Get out a map and look at Maine. It's not someplace you could ever get to unless someone helped you get to Maine. So if people brought these people here, to me, they're guilty of a crime as well because they brought people here that are illegal. Let them feed them. Let them hide them. I don't care. But I certainly don't think they should be involved in taking money from the taxpayers of Maine who can barely heat their houses. Anyway, I'm sounding kind of mean, but it's not really mean. We take care of people in Maine, and we certainly don't let people starve to death. So those arguments are, they bounce right off. I know it would never happen. We just don't do those kinds of things. But they're doing, they're playing with people who are in a um, vulnerable position. They're playing with them for financial reasons and for political reasons. And it, you know, once you see that, you see it everywhere. They do it everywhere. So let them, like Alphonse, who was standing down there for the press conference, he's very wealthy. Let him write a check, and he can just send them all to some nice little, probably vacant resort lodge somewhere in Maine that has had to go out of business and they can, you know, have a beautiful Maine vacation while they're waiting for their paperwork to come in or whatever it is. Now, write me down. I'm mean. I'm mean. I'm not mean, anyways. Yeah. And um, so I look at, yes, I look at the... um, the issues as far as our representation, and I definitely believe that when you send people to your state legislature who you voted for because you think they most closely match your beliefs and ideals, and then they go to Augusta and they do exactly what they feel like and they get in with all their friends, it's like false advertising. It's like fraud, you know? And they need to be called on it. <laughs> what what was the thing I heard this week that made me laugh, if I can remember it? I'm a little scatterbrained tonight again. Um, it was something about being on the doorstep every day. Who was talking about that? Was that on Jack McCarthy's show? 
talking about being on that doorstep every single day. Well, I'll have to think about it because I can't recall it right now. Maybe somebody in, in the chat heard that same clip or whatever it was or interview. But it, you have to be there. You have to continually tell them what you want and tell them if they are or aren't representing you. And it can be for the good or the bad, but keep that communication open. Um, they were talking about similar issues over in Great Britain when Field was over there. It was a conference for, I guess, a pre-election conference. They were talking about their different candidates and the, and the different personalities over there, but they have a lot of the same issues as far as like taxation and about money and um, you know the pedophile problems that are rampant in the um, so-called elected officials. And it just it was it was nice to hear somebody from another area talk about similar things. So if you get a chance, you know, go listen to some of those videos. They were. Uh, the ones I saw so far were posted on abledanger.net, and it's A-B-E-L, danger, no spaces, A-B-E-L-D-A-N-G-E-R.net. Um, Field is really going for it. He's pushing a lot of the issues, and uh, some of the things may start showing up just from the fact that they can't, they can't really control it anymore. The message is out there. There aren't you know, millions of people who know it but there's enough of them that know it within the upper levels. And a lot of the work that we all were doing like a couple of years ago to get to that point, you know, we can kind of, it's not really give up now and sit back. That's not what I'm saying. But you can kind of stay back a little bit and watch things and see what direction they're headed now because the urgency of that is off. Now it's, um, you know, it's really out of our control except to continue to bring um, exposure to it. You know, really, after you figured out how they're doing everything, what's the point of continuing to look into how they're doing it? We know how they're doing it. We've exposed the people and the system, the whole thing. And there's no one going out there to do the law enforcement to bring these people to justice. So what do we do next? We watch and see whether or not they're going to do each other in, which I think is what's going to happen, because they're all looking for the top spot. They want to be top. That's the whole narcissism, psychopath thing. They have to win. And um, so they're not going to let somebody they've worked with for 20 years get over them and get the money after they've put all that effort in. They're going to start doing each other in. And I think that will probably accelerate. It will save people a lot of effort in the long run because, as I said before, we have we have leadership and then we have tons of followers, people that just want to be there. You know, like, oh, I love this person. I'm going to follow them around. Well, when the leader's gone, those people have to go find somebody else because they're followers. So the leaders, once the leaders are gone in some of these um, creepy, shadowy things, um, then the rest of it is very hard to operate because they can't do everything themselves. They have to delegate it. And as more people wake up, they start realizing what they're party to, and they may not want that responsibility. So... You know, I think it changes every day. The dynamics keep changing. Um, Val M., yes, he was visiting the guys trying to get the grand juries. They actually held some grand juries over the weekend. I believe they said they did four different ones. And of the four, 
they only had one that they didn't find sufficient evidence. The other three, they had sufficient evidence. I don't know what they're going to do with the next step, if they're going to, um, you know, try to actually take them somewhere else or not. I'm hoping that when the, the rest of the videos come out, we'll be able to figure that part out. I'm not sure. Okay, so let's see what else I have in here. Probably talked about absolutely nothing for an hour. Hopefully you're getting something out of the, what I'm saying, at least. Um, let's see. Okay, this part about the... Um, the uh, aid mismanagement in Portland. And so I'm going to read you this story because it is um, something that probably will become a national story at some point because I think they're going to push, push this issue and I think the governor is going to push back on this issue, which is to give assistance to people who have not qualified for it. In other words, to... Um, cut back on their allotments. He also wants to change how he does the billings and stuff. So, I mean the um, reimbursements and stuff. So this was uh, uh, where's the original one? Um, the original one was uh, the 27th of February. Portland Democrats and social services leaders came out swinging Friday morning saying a recent state audit claiming the city mismanages its general assistance program is part of a coordinated attack on the liberal city by Maine's conservative governor and his administration. This was written by Seth Koenig of the Bangor Daily News staff. I was checking to see if it was Bangor or Portland's paper. Um, Senator, State Senator Justin Alphon, Democrat of Portland, led a news conference outside the city's Oxford Street shelter where he and other local officials said disproportionately high general assistance payouts in Portland could be traced to cases of mental illnesses or influxes of new immigrants, not careless spending by city staff. The news conference came in reaction to recent and steady criticism of Portland's distribution of general assistance funds by Governor Paul LePage's administration, which this week released an audit showing 13 of the city's most frequent shelter users, each having more than $20,000 in liquid assets. The audit's revelation that individuals with money in the bank were tapping resources set aside for needy individuals and families came on the heels of previous announcements by the Department of Health and Human Services that Portland spends more than 10 times as much in general assistance funds as Lewiston and Auburn combined, despite having similar populations and poverty numbers. Um, I'm just going to stop for a second because people that don't live in Maine probably don't realize, but Lewiston and Auburn are right beside each other, and Lewiston is the second largest city in, in uh, Maine. A lot of people think it's Bangor because Bangor is, is pretty big and it's active, but Lewiston is the second largest city. Um, general assistance provides last resort aid to people in crisis who do not qualify for other public assistance. Towns and cities administer the program and are partially reimbursed by the state. Total state spending for general assistance is estimated to be $13 million for the current fiscal year. Alfond, Portland Mayor Michael Brennan, and others on hand at the shelter Friday said they can explain why Portland seems to have an outsized share of the state's general assistance allocation, but they can't get a prompt audience with LePage or DHHS Commissioner Mary Mayhew to discuss it. 
We want the coordinated attack from Portland to end and the work to make our social services better to begin, Alphonse said, pointing out that Portland is not only an outlier in its distribution of general assistance funds, but also in that it represents an outsized share of the state's economy. Um, Portland has had a long-standing reputation of um, claiming that they have more need for everything because they're the biggest. That all of the um, you know the big projects and all the infrastructure that they need to keep going down there in Portland should be funded by everybody else in Maine. And some of the people in Maine have nothing. I mean, really nothing. And I've heard attitudes such as, um, well, why would we go and pave a road in Shirley? There's some little town named Shirley, Maine. Why would we do that when we need this in Portland where all the people are? And, you know, you could argue that all of us should go move to Portland, I guess. But that isn't the way it is. We have a whole state of Maine and, and Portland. Uh, many of the people that live in Portland have never gone north of Portland. If they ever go north, it's probably not north of Augusta. So there's this this huge battle always in the background of Portland area and then the other Maine, the other Maine being everybody else that lives, you know, maybe more rurally. But... Um, Alphonse acknowledged Friday the audit was troubling and that Portland city officials and state representatives were eager to meet with the administration to discuss the ways ways the city could better administer general assistance. Brennan said he called the governor's office on Monday to set up an appointment to discuss the audit. I thought it was urgent, but the first date they gave me for a meeting was the end of March, Brennan said Friday. Obviously, it's not as urgent to them as it is to us. City Councilor Ed Suslovic chairman of the Council's Public Safety, Health, and Human Services Committee told reporters the number of asylum seekers and visa holders drawing upon general assistance funding in the city has exploded from 296 in 2011 to 970 in 2014, accounting for the majority of the city's overall increase during, increase during that time. Those newcomers must often wait months for federal authorization to work in the U.S., he said, leaving general assistance as the only means to keep them fed and housed until they can become contributing members of the local economy. People are coming to Portland because of the economic opportunities, the Slovak said after the morning news conference. There are jobs here. He said the city reduced its number of all other general assess assistance clients from 3,557 to 2,594 over that same time period, attributing the reduction to Portland's aggressive approach to individual counseling and finding permanent housing for frequent shelter users. Portland, Westbrook, and the Maine Municipal Association are suing the state over LePage's decision last year to cancel general assistance reimbursement to communities that provide aid to undocumented immigrants. Mental illness and emergency shelters is the next section. Regarding the shelter users with more than $20,000 apiece in the bank, Mark Swan, executive director of the homeless service provider Preble Street, said Friday, those were largely isolated instances involving people suffering from serious mental illnesses. There's a whole other side to this story the governor and his administration are leaving out, Alphonse said. Swan said shelter users sleep on thin mats just inches away from strangers. Those who don't get in line early enough for the mats must sleep on the floor at the Preble Street soup kitchen or in chairs in the city offices. Who chooses this? Is anyone getting away with anything by getting a thin mat to sleep on? Swan said, 
Some of them didn't even know they had money in the bank. Other people were dealing with such psychosis and mental illness, they didn't know how to access it. Swan said the state has reduced its funding for emergency overnight shelters from $500,000 in 1987 to $380,000 per year now, and that the money is distributed to 42 shelters statewide. He agreed that general assistance wasn't intended to cover shelter stays, but the state needs to set up a more adequate standalone emergency shelter funding program, what he called a State of Maine Compassion Fund, if it wants to reduce the general assistance burden. Swan said Portland's high general assistance numbers are a better indicator of the state's inability to provide services for mentally ill people than any of the mismanagement at the city level. A beautiful elderly woman named Diane sat outside our soup kitchen in a lawn chair for a decade waiting for her son to pick her up, he recalled, saying the woman suffered from schizophrenia, delusions, and sometimes slipped into a catatonic state. Swan said she stayed in shelters and ultimately died of breast cancer because she never had access to adequate health care. You know, um, <clears throat> I have to stop here because is that really what a shelter is for? It's for schizophrenic patients to be sitting in lawn chairs outside and die of breast cancer. This is to get people sympathy. It isn't what a shelter is for. It's not what general assistance is for. We do have mental health institutions in Maine. We're not that backward that we don't have mental hospitals. We do have them. And we have health care for people that are indigent. So, you know, read between the lines. Why would you keep somebody like that unless you're getting something out of it, which is funding? They're getting money for it. That's my opinion. We welcome yours, as we always say. Okay. Um, People have the misconception that we choose to come here. People have different reasons for being here, said Gary Lee, a local man who became homeless and stayed, started staying in the city's shelter after developing depression. Some have mental illnesses. Some have lost their jobs. I talked to a man this morning who lost his job. His truck broke down and he got cancer. I've laid next to a man who thought he was Hitler's grandson, he said. I've laid next to another person who thought the government was spying on him and was after him. These are the worlds pe people are living in. But David Sorensen, spokesman for the State Department of Health and Human Services, suggested that Portland officials are missing the point when they account for the high general assistance totals by pointing to cases of mental illness. The average stay of the 13 individuals in question was 1,392 nights, Sorensen said. That's almost four years. Mental health is certainly a major issue, and many of these people could have been suffering from it. The problem is not that they're using the shelter. The problem is that Portland is billing taxpayers for their stays when the city knows they have these high-balance bank accounts. There's simply no excuse for that, he said. Portland knows who these individuals are with significant assets. In a prepared statement Friday, LePage said, highlighting concerns about the mental health of people who stayed at the shelters deflects attention from what he believes to be the real problem, who pays for the services. My quarrel is not with the people who stayed at the shelter, he said. Mental illness often plays a role here. It's a matter of who pays. The city of Portland knew these people had this money in the bank, but they decided to bill the taxpayers anyway for years' worth of welfare reimbursement. Municipalities complain about losing revenue sharing, but then I see abuse like this. When municipalities set priorities that unfairly burden main property taxpayers, it's hard to have sympathy for them. Sorensen added that DHHS spent nearly $5.16 million in 2014 on programs dedicated to housing mentally ill people in Portland, an amount nearly eight times as much as the next largest city, Lewiston, and three times as much as Maine's third largest city, Bangor. 
He said that 5.16 million distributed through the state's bridging rental assistance program and projects for assistance and transition from homelessness, among other avenues. I'm looking at what those initials stand for because they always have initials. So <laughs> projects for assistance and transition in, from homelessness would be PATH, you know, PATH, among other avenues, comes above and beyond the 10 million in general assistance distributed by the city. LePage is pursuing a measure that would change the state's general assistance reimbursement formula. The state reimburses each city or town 50% up to a certain threshold and then reimburses for 90% of the general assistance distribution beyond that point. So that's what the formula is right now. The state reimburses each city or town 50% up to a certain threshold and then reimburses for 90% of the general assistance distribution beyond that point. So that's what we have right now. Under the governor's proposal, the state would reimburse each municipality 90% of its general assistance dispersal until it reaches 40% of its previous six-year average, after which the state would drop its reimbursement level to 10%. So in other words, um, it would discourage, you know, overspending. Basically, it would put a put a halt to some of that stuff. While the change would benefit cities and towns that distribute relatively low amounts of general assistance, front-loading the reimbursements, Portland would likely lose as much as six million dollars in annual reimbursements if it continued to disperse the benefits as it currently does. In addition to Alphon, six other state lawmakers representing Greater Portland communities attended the Friday news conference as well as several members of the Portland Board of Public Education. Um, one of my tenants that had to go for general assistance, I was telling you about this, like um, they told him to come back in January, the end of January. He got a, a purchase order for partial rent for January. I got the check on the 20th, I think, of February. And when he went back, this he went back to get more rental assistance because he's still in crisis and was refused this month. So he was refused for February. And I don't know if he's going to go back again this month in March or not. But he, I mean, the people that need the help aren't getting it. And to me, it's just wrong. If you're not helping the people that actually are Mainers, you know, and you're saying that you need it for these people because they have nothing down in Portland. They invited those people to come. They actually uh, basically told the governor he could go, you know, shove it. They were going to have them anyway. And now they're mad because the reimbursement isn't there for it. The um, waste has been on top of that other story. The, the waste that was found during the audit is on top of the other story, which was that he was saying he wasn't going to pay reimbursements for those people. Um, that weren't Mainers. Okay, let's see. Um, so there were 408 comments on this story. I did write some comments on this story. Um, some of you might know what I use for a screen name. I don't usually give it out, but you could probably tell if you read any of them, you'd know who wrote it because I always say what I think. Um, but there, I'm going to see if I can find the best rated one, the one with the most likes. They took this story down as fast as possible too, because it was generating a lot of, um, you know, a lot of discussion that went in a direction they didn't like. I guess. Okay, here's here's the highest 
likes. It's only, it says 23, so that's not really that high for likes. Um, Mr. LePage, country born, county born, wrote, Mr. LePage wants to micromanage Portland's general assistant so badly, I suggest he goes and gets some education. Perhaps he needs to go to Portland every day and meet these people and make the decisions on who gets what. Dealing with paper reports is nice and clean and easy. He might find that getting down in the trenches is not so nice. I worked for a municipality once, and the lady who administered general assistance was tough as nails. She spent every dollar like it was her own and faced many heart-wrenching situations. As hard as she tried, I do not believe she ever managed to stay within her budget. Um, and Bonnie in MS says, why should the rest of Maine pay for Portland's promotion of government dependency? They need to raise taxes in Portland to cover their liberal city mismanagement. This city is a good example of Obama's vision of America. LePage for president. And, um, you know, that basically the two sides of it were that LePage is mean and that he's a bully and that he wants to see people suffer and little babies to die and all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, that's pretty much what their arguments always are. And then the ones that are on the side that support LePage say, we voted for him. We told him that's what we wanted done, and he's working on it. That's what we wanted when we voted for him. So every time um, somebody starts criticizing LePage for the, the moves that he's making right now, and he's making quite a few of them, that's usually the defense is we voted for him, he won, and he's doing what the people want. There is a great deal of movement in Maine on every single issue we have going here. So eternal vigilance, that's what they always say. Keep your eyes peeled. See what's going on. So I'm going to go back and then I'll give you the link to this because I don't think I did. Kind of lengthy, but you see what the issues are. And, and you know, like I say, Maine is showing what's going on everywhere else. It's not just here, but because we're small enough and we know each other, it makes it a little easier to see some of these issues than if you lived in a big, big state, you know, with a huge population. All right. Um, there's um, some of the stuff that's going on as far as the revenue sharing goes. Um, we, we have some things going on with taxation here that the governor is trying to get rid of income tax and put the tax revenues, um, property tax for the local needs and state sales tax for state needs. I believe that's how he was um, describing it in order to collect tax from everybody. Because the way things are going now, we have, um, you know, we have like huge issues in Maine. People are really having a hard time, and Portland doesn't see itself as a large sucking place, but it really is. It's taking a lot of the revenues from the state and focusing it all on Southern Maine, and the rest of the state's getting drained really badly. And if you say anything about that to anybody who lives in the Portland area, they, they always put it back on, well, we're the ones making all the money. The only reason that they are making all the money, or it looks like that, is because that's how the system was set up, was to drain the rest of the state. It wasn't always that way. Many of these small communities were supporting themselves very well, and people were doing well. They were prosperous, and they were happy, and they stayed in their towns. And now we, you know, they've 
they've closed up, they've dried up, and they always say, well, it's the global economy, it's because things cost more, it's because people have changed their lifestyle and they're not using these products anymore. But that isn't always what happened, and every town is different in Maine. We did have some things that dried up, yes, but the intention, for especially for UN Agenda 21, was always to drain out the small towns, to restore Maine back to a wild state, and to put people into dense population areas. So they wanted people living in a dense condition like, you know, apartment buildings and, you know, living in cities. And um, it's probably cheaper and easier to control people if you have them living in cities, to be totally honest. But it's also a lot easier for people to sustain themselves and their families if they don't live in cities because they can do things. They can, you know, grow their own food or have everybody live in a big house or whatever. Um, Certainly something to consider when you think about some of these issues. I have had in my mind for the last two or three years the idea that if you don't own your own property, it's not your house, then they can just come in whenever they want because more more than likely when you rent from someone, um, especially in the big complexes and the subsidized housing, it's probably right in the lease that they can come in your house anytime they need to. And I'm not just talking about the landlord, but law enforcement, because if they're looking for somebody or something happens there, that they can come in anyone's apartment. I I don't know that for sure. Maybe somebody can tell me if they live in any of those subsidized type housing units. But I doubt you have the same rights to keep people out because it's not your house. You're just renting it. Strings attached. Always there's strings attached, so... Okay, what else is related to our little, lovely little place here in uh, Maine? Oh, a nice blog at the Press Herald or article. Not sure which it is, blog or article. I think it's a blog. It's an opinion piece Um, posted last week on the 26th. Um, Alan Karen, who I remember Alan Karen from, oh gosh, it had to be probably the late 90s or something. I, I told you I was going to all these technology conferences and um, things to do with education in Maine. I always went to all these, you know, improving America schools, uh, bullying, anti-bullying, civil rights kind of stuff, reading conferences. I went to all kinds of conferences because I was serious about my job and I wanted to make sure my school had the best of anything going. Um, even though I was a school librarian, I did other things. I was not just checking out books. So I remember going to a conference. I believe it was in Augusta at the Civic Center, and Alan Karen's company was had organized it. So I I met him that day or talked to him that day, I'm not sure. But at the time, he, he was in a relationship with one of my classmates from high school. That's how our that's how our state is, okay? So when I saw the name, I went, oh, Alan Karen, I think I remember him. And probably people in the southern part of the state know more about him than I do. There were comments saying that he'd been in trouble with the law before in the comments of the article, opinion piece, I mean. And because this is in the Portland Press-Herald, if somebody writes a comment, it's on their Facebook, so it has their name on this one. So 
this is another type of attitude that we have. This relates to the um, argument between the Attorney General and the Governor. So I'm going to read you this one too. Then I'll probably stop because I think I'm reading too much tonight. And really what is new, it's the same stuff over and over. But this does kind of relate to what we're all thinking about up here right now, which is what is the main Supreme Judicial Court going to do about this particular thing between the Governor and the Attorney General? Because they have to decide something. They have to answer the question. And how long is it going to take, you know? So this relates to it. Um, Alan Karen, note to Governor, Maine's Attorney General doesn't work for you. This was in the Portland Press-Herald. An independent chief law officer is part of our democracy's system of checks and balances. Hello, it's a republic. Supposed to be. Mean representative. But he uses the word democracy, so. Governor LePage can't seem to get along with anyone who disagrees with him. That weakness has a way of distracting him from accomplishing his larger goals. Right now, the governor has taken on a major revamping of the tax system. He's also in a big dispute with Portland over how it manages general assistance. You'd think the governor would have his hands full, maybe too full, but this governor has trouble separating the big things from the small. So what is he doing now? Attacking the state's attorney general, of course, because she had the audacity to disagree with him on two issues out of hundreds, it says in parentheses. The governor apparently believes that the Attorney General of Maine works for him and should do his bidding. He might want to hit the books on that one, and in particular the Maine Constitution. The Attorney General's job is to represent state agencies, the legislature, and the governor's office when they are working within the law and the state constitution. It's also the AG's job to tell the state when its positions are unsupportable under the law or in violation of the Maine Constitution. Attorney General Janet Mills has been doing exactly that, and because of that, she's now incurred the well-known wrath of the governor. Who should we trust to know the law in these cases? Would it be an accomplished attorney who served as district attorney for 25 years, representing three western Maine counties? Or would it be a governor with no legal background and an obvious ideological and partisan fervor? I'm going with the one who knows the law as well as the Maine Constitution. In taking on Janet Mills, the governor is making one of the first big mistakes of his second term. Janet Mills is not a powerless staffer in government or the head of some agency he can pack with people who do his bidding. She's tough and smart and as trustworthy as any politician in Maine. <laughs> Sorry, I had to stop and laugh at that. She's trustworthy as any politician in Maine. That's probably true, though. That's probably the truth, so I'll go on. The governor has launched a two-pronged attack on Mills, one reasonable and the other not. First, he filed a court action seeking clarification on what a governor can do when the attorney general won't defend his positions. These are legitimate questions, and the court will presumably be health helpful in answering them. But to get to what the governor is really after, you have to listen in on what he says in the comforting confines of local conservative talk shows there you will find that his attack on Mills is a reflection not only of his visceral hatred of everything democratic, but also of his penchant for silencing or eliminating anyone who disagrees with him. That is interesting because I'm trying to think of one person that he silenced or eliminated. One, just one. 
and he's saying his penchant for silencing and eliminating anyone who disagrees with him sounds like he has like that as his hobby or something. So I don't know who he's talking about. But anyways, in recent interviews, the governor has attacked Mills as a partisan Democrat who sees the interests of the party first and the state second. If ever there were a kettle calling a pot black, folks, that would be it. LePage wants an AG who does his bidding and who is under his control. It's not hard to believe that if LePage had a Republican AG right now, he'd expect that person to ignore their constitutional responsibilities whenever they conflict with the governor's wishes. This is exactly why we have a system of checks and balances in our democracy. I've known Janet Mills for a long time and consider her a friend. She's about as solid and straightforward as you get. She's also from one of the most distinguished political families in Maine. Her father served the people of Western Maine as a Republican and as a judge for decades. Her brother Peter followed in his footsteps and now heads the Turnpike Authority. He was appointed by LePage. Her sister, Dora Ann, was a highly respected chief health officer for the state for many years before being forced out by LePage. Janet and her family represent the best of Maine's political traditions of honesty, hard work, and standing up for what's right. They're all in a political party, but with all of them, it's clear that what's good for a party always comes second to what's good for Maine. Janet Mills will stand up to this bullying from LePage as she should. She'll do that because it's the right thing to do and because her first job as Attorney General is to ensure that no politician of any party is allowed to assume powers that are not granted to them by the Maine Constitution. And nowhere does the Maine Constitution suggest that the Attorney General is the Governor's private attorney. She'll also stand up to LePage because that's the only language that bullies and demagogues understand. And then it says, um, Alan Karen is a partner in the strategic consulting firm of Karen and Egan. He can be contacted at Maine at gmail.com. And that is spelled A-L-A-N-C-A-R-O-N-I-N-M-A-I-N-E at gmail.com. And you can have this little <laughs> ridiculous thing that they called a, an opinion piece for the Portland Press-Herald. You can have this for your reading pleasure, if you wish to go over it again, cracks me up. Yeah, I know, Janet Mills, she's just working on that Constitution every day. He must use that word in there at least 20 times, so good enough. Uh, distinguished <laughs> political family, yes. Yeah, we already discussed the Mills back when they had the article in the newspaper about the royal families of Maine. And I know that we talked about that a couple of times, about how the um, one of the people, either the father or grandfather, I believe it was the grandfather, had, uh, had betrayed the trust of Wilhelm Reich. And someday we'll go all back into the Wilhelm Reich story, but I want to be able to go visit the uh, property over in Rangeley and look over all the stuff and read it all again. But at the time when I was researching on Wilhelm Reich, I was very um, surprised to see the stories about how this particular Mills had double-crossed the man. He died basically sick and penniless, and it was because of that person. In the stories I read, I wasn't there. I always try to, you know, say that I'm not, I don't know everything. I read about stuff and I make my own judgments based on what I believe has happened. Does it make any difference? No, but... 
certainly a lot of people don't realize there's a Mills connection to Wilhelm Reich. And if you ever studied anything about Wilhelm Reich, you might be interested in knowing it. That's the only reason I'm telling you. Because I don't care. I watch people's actions and I can see clearly from actions what their intentions are. <clears throat> anyway. Okay, so that's another one. You can add him to the list. Long-term friend. Doesn't mind writing an article like that, an opinion piece, excuse me, like that for the Portland Press-Herald. All the buddies. There's probably pictures on their Facebook pages of all of them sitting around at a barbecue having a great time. Another way to find out who's friends with who is just go look at images on Google Images and you'll see these people socializing because they put everything up. They're proud of themselves that they have these connections. It's a big deal. Um, one of the things that brought a lot of um, controversy this week, too, is another one of those articles where people don't like the sentence in a particular court. And I, something I'm noticing lately and why I saved it was that I don't see them mentioning who the judges are much anymore. And obviously judges are the ones making the decisions. So why not? Why aren't, why aren't they mentioning who the judges are? If they are proud of the decisions they're making, why would they care if somebody knew that they were the judge on that case? Probably wouldn't be that hard to figure it out, find out which, which court it is, what day it was, look up the names in the case, and find out who the judge is, but they don't put it in the articles. Seven-month sentence for child sex assault spurs mid-coast movement. Now, these are people that are going to, um, they said they're going to be um, keeping track of stuff like this. They're going to form a group or whatever. And I'm trying to see what's the name of the group because I looked at it earlier. Oh, a, a group called Maine Youth Protection Alliance. Anthony Collins of Appleton and Rochelle Gagne of Searsmont formed this group, formed it Wednesday, and this was posted February 27th. So um, a day after the sentencing of 53-year-old Mark Cayouette of Rockport in Knox County Superior Court, they they created a Facebook page. It has 279 members as of Friday morning. Um, the citizens of Waldo and Knox County are infuriated, Ganya said Thursday. She is the wife of Camden Police Chief Randy Ganya. Collins and Gagne have contacted local legislators and the Maine Attorney General's office asking them to put forward legislation that would impose mandatory minimum prison sentences for people convicted of sexually assaulting children. Um, they're furious about this seven-month seven sentence. Um, says Collins, the parent of a three-year-old daughter, said he was appalled when he read about the sentence. He pointed out this was the same sentence as a teenager convict convicted this week of setting fire to portable toilets. Um, when I found out how much time he, Coyote, was getting, I couldn't believe it. Justice was not being served. Well, you know, we, we've had a long-standing problem in Maine with people getting away with different types of pedophilia and... Um, sexual assault on children, and it's, I mean, it's like you can't go more than a week without hearing of a couple of cases around the state, and some of these people are like in the law enforcement and in the judicial system, so I would say that a judge who gives a seven-month jail sentence for something like that 
you want to know that person's name because you want to know if you see it anywhere else that's suspicious. That's just the only the only reason I would want to know who is giving those types of sentences. So here's your link to that because it's about the individual. It's about exposure. So, and what was the name of that? It was called the the Maine Youth Protection Alliance. But it's a Facebook page. Let's go see if they have one. Librarians, we can't help ourselves. It's what you do. It's what you do in your spare time when you're a librarian as you look up stuff. It's terrible. Some days you can't even. Now they have 1,030 members, so they're still growing. Um, where is the... I don't know. I guess they've just got some... It's our obligation to protect our children. That's what it says on here. Assuming this is the one. I don't think they would have another name for it. Okay, so here's the um, Facebook page that they set up. Things are happening. People are doing things. These people are focused on that. It doesn't really matter as long as things continue to happen, right? So. <clears throat> okay. some of this stuff. I heard um, this past week that there was a false flag attack supposedly on the communications. Um, the network, somebody dug up a cable or something and cut it in Arizona and cut off um, communications for the, I believe it was the northern part of the state or whatever. I only saw that in one place. I don't know if it's you know, something that was found to be true, false. Um, whether it was publicized anywhere else, because I didn't see it again. Um, I'm just going to give you the link to that. You can go and um, look it up yourself if you're interested in that and uh, see if you can find anything else out about it. But what I saw, why, it made, why I was interested in it was it looked like um, they said that the person would have to, or people would have to know exactly where it was because it was a very targeted thing and that it's not laying on top of the ground or anything. You had to dig for it so they knew exactly where it was. Um, I don't know if some of these things may be happening because of the net neutrality vote. Um, remember we talked about that and about how the guy, one of the two that voted against the net neutrality um, in the interview that I played part of, I think last week, maybe the week before, that he was talking about how the future we'd have chips and stuff, and he was talking about how the cars would be all automated and we'd have chips. Um, very matter-of-factly, like it was the most normal thing in the world. <clears throat> well, there are people that don't think that's such a great idea, and they don't like the idea of net neutrality, and they're upset about some of the systems in the world that are controlling everybody, and um, have the know-how to go do these types of things, like cut cables and interrupt certain websites and you know stop, stop whatever they want to do, expose people's emails, whatever they want to do. There are people that can do that. They work on it night and day. And um, so we may see odder things or more disruptions. Who knows? But if anyone knows if that's true or not, 
um, certainly email to me and let me know. I'm very interested in communications as well, anything to do with that stuff. Because um, one of the things I believe in strongly is that you have the right to research anything you want, to learn anything you want, to read anything you want. And it's, you know, to me that no one has the right to tell you you can't. So um, my email is gingercookie87 at yahoo.com. No pictures of kitties and puppies. No chain letters. But if you have something you want to uh, let me know about or, you know, show me something that relates to any of these types of topics, such as, you know, freedom, <laughs> um, basic human rights, God-given rights, etc., um, communications, um, corruption within Maine or the United States, because really I can't follow all the stuff from everywhere else in the world. Usually it's too complicated for me. Um, what else? Um, I guess experiences of things that you know to confirm some of the suspicions that we have. If you have experiences that you know, prove it. That's what I talk about is things that I know firsthand that I can actually prove and speak with conviction when you can prove it because you know, you know that you don't have to go and dig around to try to defend a lie, which is what many of them have to do because you already know. And boy, it makes a difference when they see that in your eyes, too. They back right off a lot of times. Um, I see that we have some new people in here tonight. Hopefully everybody is getting something out of it. I never know whether you're going to or not. This is a place where you can come and actually um, express yourself. People that are not abusive to other people in here, they're pretty well able to say what they believe because we all come here to learn. That's the reason why we're here. Um, see, I've been talking a long time, trying to think what else is important that I came across this week or that might relate to things that you're working on. Um, I got letters from my bank today. <laughs> they they continually make me laugh. I'm I'm very interested in this. I I opened up my mail and started laughing because they're big thick envelopes, and I thought, oh man, not this again. I'm going to be in. They're going to give me crap again. They're going to give me trouble. And they keep sending stuff to my late husband, which cracks me up too because they know he died. I brought in the death certificate in 2003. You'd think they'd remember and put it in the computer by now. But they're, they're big, thick envelopes with all the stuff they send you, probably because they have to offer you assistance of some kind. And all it is is a late home equity line payment. And my joke about the bank is that they create their own problems and then they blame you for them. And I'm just not willing to be blamed for them. So as I go along in life, I'm starting to figure out some of these techniques. And instead of being afraid or being upset like I used to be, oh my gosh, I used to be so upset about this stuff, I look at it and laugh because I have three envelopes here and they're full of about 20 pages each and it's the same mailing. It's like, it's like the 
here's a fax cover letter, and I never got a fax. It must be for me to fax them. Okay. And um, it's got all your legal rights and the you know, the numbers on them, all those those really interesting numbers. And I, I when I see it, I laugh because I think they're giving me all this material I can use. Okay, one, let's see, one, two, three. Four, five. I'm counting how many pages in each one. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten pages, and um, they're not all double-sided, but I'm going to see if any of them are. What a waste of paper. I'll have to, if I write them back a letter, I'll have to say, boy, you waste a lot of paper, because I really didn't need three of these. I'm only one, one human being. But um, we have here uh, the little brochure thing that came from FHA Home Ownership, U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Why are they sending me this? Save your home, tips to avoid foreclosure. And it says, uh, building communities by ensuring the American dream of home ownership for millions of people since 1934. So there's a cool little brochure I could photocopy for anybody that might need it. And Delium says, oh, great, they're not only wanting to kill us off, they're killing off the trees to tell us about it. Yeah, they, they indicate what they're up to by all this stuff, okay? Um, let's see. Service Members Civil Relief Act Notice Disclosure. I guess that's if you're a military. Um, so that's a page of that. And then I got a fax cover letter page. How many pages am I sending? And the fax number and stuff so I can send it to them. And then it's like a form that you can fill out that tells everything about yourself. Let's see. What does it say on here? My household income... Uh, my pre-tax household income, my household income has been reduced because of these reasons. My expenses have increased. When did my expenses increase? Um, boy, it's like this is right to the, you know, it's what I call quantification of life. You have to put everything in numbers so that a computer can understand it. So it's got all your possible ways of getting money and how much all your expenses are so they can put in a computer and somebody can kick it out and say, nope, no help for you. Um, and it has, the, the thing that's wrong with this kind of paperwork for me is that if I did try to do this, none of it would fit my situation, not one thing. I would be better off writing a term paper and putting footnotes than to fill out this thing because literally they will have boxes on here and what my situation is won't fit in the box. Or if I answer the question, there's 10 reasons why it's not a completely accurate answer. So I can't do them this way. I've told them that before, but they don't listen to me. Um, yeah, here's like, okay, here's your income documentation. Your two most recent consecutive pay stubs. I don't work for anybody, so I don't have any pay stubs, okay? So I can't do that. Profit and loss statement for the two most recent months 
you must have two full months of a profit and loss statement. I don't have that. I don't have a bookkeeper. Fixed income, benefit statements from your provider with the amount, frequency, and duration of Social Security, disability, death benefits, pension, public assistance, or unemployment. I don't have any of that either. Rental income, yes, I have some when the city pays the general assistance for one of my tenants, and the other one does pay. Other income, documentation of any other household income not listed above. I don't have any. What I'm doing is selling my assets to pay bills with. So I don't have any of the stuff that they want. I can't give them any of it. And let's see what else. I recognize this phone number. It's been calling me for several weeks and not identifying itself. So, and I don't believe they can foreclose on my house for a home equity line of credit, but maybe they can. But anyways, I'm not worried about it because it's basically what it says in the other one that I got. I got a separate one that says that um, if I pay the line of credit payment, then... It's reinstated. Ridiculous. I'll keep you posted. It's just another adventure in the long blog of adventurous life. And as I said before, in January, when I figured they were playing a game with me, that I was ready to just hand them the keys or maybe throw them across the table at them. I don't care because it's, it's, you know so complex at this point that I could just gather all my paperwork, get an honest lawyer if I can find one maybe in another state, and sue the bank. And then I can buy a nicer house than the one that they seem to think they want. So I'm not concerned about this. It's not the house I live in, by the way. I had some people concerned about my living status. This is my um, apartment building that has so many complications in its history of um, financing, insuring, and all that stuff, taxes, et cetera, liens, the whole thing. I've had a whole education based on that one house, and um, I've learned a lot from it, basically, that... um, I know I knew about MERS. I knew about the fact that you can't robo-sign. You can't transfer a mortgage from one company to another. It has to be the original. I doubt they even have it. It's a mess. So it's their mess, not mine. There's people physically living in that house. So, you know, what do you do? You just say, well, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to, like, kick them out so you can have the empty building? Do you want me to... Let the pipes freeze because I can't afford the heat. What would you like me to do with the house? And see what they say. And I know banks do not loan money. Absolutely. That's the truth. If anything, they owe me money. But they're going to put the old screws to me. We'll see what happens. Who's going to win this battle, do you think? Let's see. If it was... 10 or 15 years ago, we know who would have won the battle, but I'm not so sure nowadays. I think things are changing in the background, and they don't want to tell us. So, yep, there's a lot of stuff they do just because they get away with it. And um, I'm not sure whether I am wise to write a letter 
or just leave it because they send you this stuff, but they never sign it, in case you've never noticed. They don't sign anything. And it's because they know what that signature means. Um, I've sent things before to banks where I just type my name instead of signing it because they use that stuff. It's like it means something when you sign it. If you don't sign it, it's just something you you know picked up. You could have photocopied and mailed to them. So I'll have to think how to approach this because everything I do has at least 20 different ways to approach it. And I don't know why my life is like this, but it is. It's, you know, I have people in my family who are friends with the top echelon of that bank, and I've tried to protect them from having an embarrassment. And all it's done is made it worse. (laughs) So it's like, do I drop names? I hate doing that. I don't think people should be able to drop names and have things go away. I think you should be able to deal with it on the same rules that everybody else does because I'm really into the equal protection thing. But, you know, it gets to the point where it's just so ridiculous that... Yes, Tim the Wizard, I've heard about filing liens on your own home before. Yes. Um, There's different things that can be done. Um, I have this strong aversion to anything that feels like game-playing because it it just bugs me that people have to do that kind of stuff. I know it sometimes works, but it's like, why can't people just be honest, be open and honest about stuff? Because there's, you know, the, the, the crux of the whole matter is that if they hadn't screwed around with me in the first place, I would not be in this position now. But they did it to themselves. They did it by refusing credit when they should not have refused credit. There was no reason I shouldn't have had credit at the beginning when all this stuff started happening, and it was probably 2006, I'm going to say. So we're going on, you know, nine or ten years of extreme stress and a big mess, and it never gets better. Once something starts like that, it never gets better. And it's it's just, you know, how far back can I go? The people aren't even the same people because they change jobs all the time. So the people you talk to six or seven years ago, are not there anymore. They went to a different bank or they went to a different department and everything is just in paperwork to them. They can't see anything but that, that piece of paper. So, you know, it's just just crazy. It's crazy. So, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if it could be proven who actually hold the the um, deed on that house at this point. And that's because some rules have been bent here and there. I don't know because they don't tell you anything when you ask. So we'll see. I may just give them an offer, <laughs> which may sound funny to people because they think, oh, my gosh, how can you give them an offer? They're telling you they're making a demand on you, but I may give them an offer, which is, Here's some stuff. You don't like this. You don't like this. I don't like these things. And if you want it to go away, change this. Because they've told me stuff all these years, off and on, as the bank changed hands, etc. People that work there told me things because they didn't see any reason why not. One of the things I found out was that the bank didn't like this particular type of home equity line I have. 
they said they don't do those. That's something old. I know it's old by the, the terms. And I went, yeah, it's a good deal, isn't it? I'll tell you right now what the good deal is. So I said, I'd be stupid to let this go because they wanted to rewrite it. The reason they want to rewrite it is because I have a good deal. They don't they don't like that. I had three of them, but now I only have two because I sold the house. But I'll tell you what it is. Okay, if I can find one of the sheets. Because they were all the same, they were all the same, I believe. I have an uh, interest rate of 2.06. So who has interest like that? 2.06. So why would I want to get rid of that? The thing is that it, it's... Um, it's based on the real estate itself, apparently. I don't know. I think that there's probably, if I could find an honest lawyer, I could get them to give me a check, but we'll see. <clears throat> it's like free money in a way. Um, and back in the day, for any new people that are here that maybe are young, but back in the day, I would say the 70s, maybe the early 80s, you could go into your bank and you could tell them that you needed a, a, a six-month note and they would give you a check the very day that you went in your bank. And you would take the money, use it however you wanted. They didn't ask you what you wanted it for. I mean, you could tell them, hey, I need to pay some urgent thing. My furnace just broke down. My truck just broke down or whatever. I had to get it fixed and I don't have any. So I need... a six-month note for $1,500, and they would give you a check. They wouldn't say, well, what do you want it for? And uh, what's your income? And where have you been the last week and a half? And I'd like three or 10 or 15 bank statements. And they never did that because they knew you because you went there all the time and you were one of their customers. So you'd take your note, you'd take your check, you'd sign for it on a piece of paper that said you are going to pay it back. It would give the date and the amount that you needed to pay back. You didn't pay anything in the interim. Six months, you had that money. And then June 12th or whatever day the note came due, you showed up over there with the entire amount and gave it back to them. And that's how they were done. Um, the first time I went to the bank to get help around the mid-2000s, I went in thinking they still had those because I didn't even know, because I had not had to have credit for anything. I had an emergency on a um, a lien, a tax lien that was coming due or something, and I needed the money for it. And it was really, it was a fairly small amount. It was under $2,000. And they said, we don't do those anymore. And I was like, what? Very surprised. And then the rest of the mess ensued after that when I realized that I had a horrendous messed up credit report, which shouldn't have had half of the stuff on it was not even right. And it just continued to get worse and worse. And it was it was accounting stuff. It wasn't anything like somebody stole my identity. It was that the information in that credit report was garbled. It was messed up. It showed like I'd moved around when I hadn't. I'd been living in the same house the entire time. The houses that I bought for with my late husband for rental, it was showing those like I had moved to them. So they were showing them, like, addresses. It had me working at a different place than I actually worked. And, 
you know, I told on here before too, I worked in schools for twenty years and they weren't that wasn't even on my credit report. It had the wrong birthday, it had it was just a mess. And because of that I couldn't borrow money quickly enough because I had to fix that first because they believed TransUnion before they believed me. And it just it's just been a mess since. I mean, one thing after another. Because that stuff, once it starts going wrong, it's really wrong. You can't fix it that easily. And I'm sure there's still stuff in there that's probably not true, but this particular bank doesn't care because they're not very professional. They do bizarre things, and they don't even know what the other departments are doing. So I guess I have to go higher. I need to go up to the big offices, (laughs) wherever those are. I'll find out. Well, I'll keep you posted on this big saga of ridiculous life. Okay. So, Maine Bar Foundation's banking partners. Yeah, I'll have to look at that. That looks interesting. I like that guest, Tim. The upside is down, the back is the front, and the front is a lie. Yeah, right, exactly. Tim the Wizard suing them? Yes, I would love to do it, but... I don't want to bring more crap down on my head. So I would need to have a very honest lawyer that could tell me what direction to head in. Because I have, it isn't just the banks. Oh, no, we can't have it be just the banks. It has to be everything. So I have other stuff that's an issue, too. And I don't know how to approach it anymore. It's, It's now to the point where I don't even know how to approach it. So I don't do anything. I just wait and see what happens next. I figure it'll iron itself out or I'll die first, one or the other. So, anyway. Okay, so I'm going to go back up here. Who is Sue? Everybody keeps saying, is Sue here? What lies in your debt? Yep, I've seen some of that before, Tim. Dottie is gone, though. Hopefully that... Oh, she's back now. The, uh, hopefully this is a good link. I'm going to save this before I forget it. I'm going to save this one she just gave me. Okay, so... I've been talking a long time, you guys. What does that mean? There's stuff we should be doing. We should be reading. We should be studying. And helping each other out by learning stuff because if a group of people learns a lot about a lot of things, then when you get together and you share it, you start to be able to make it even bigger. I call it a force multiplier because in a way it is. And a lot of the ideas that I have during the week that float through my brain, oh my gosh, I'm sometimes just amazed at the stuff that is revealed to me suddenly in a flash. Like, oh my gosh, I just thought of this thing. But then I forget to write it down. And um, other people, when they tell me about what they're doing, it refreshes it. It it brings it back sometimes because it seems like you can't get anywhere and like you're never gonna you're never gonna figure it all out. And then all of a sudden you realize how really simple it is. We need food, we need clothing, and we need shelter. So if we have a place to eat and some and a place to live and something to eat, then we're pretty good because most of us have way more clothes than we ever need. And the rest of it is just 
you know, it's just, it's just like the extras or something. I mean, the more simple we can live our life, the better, probably. But I've gone back to reading at night because I have a ton of books and I never, I buy books and then I put them on the bookshelves and I don't read them. So when I go back through and I'm looking at them, I go, I didn't realize I had this. And some of it relates because you're thinking about these things when you're going through bookshelves. You're thinking about the same topics your whole life. And you buy them and put them on a bookshelf and you go back and there it is, sitting right in front of your face. Um, So I need to read them again or read them for the first time and see why I'm noticing it today. And then just take what you learn and go use it. And I'm going to be using some of the stuff I've learned when I talk to the bank or write a letter to the bank. So, okay, I'm putting a note here. <clears throat> Save it for the following week. Save. Um, sorry, I'm talking out loud about what I'm doing. Just because. So in seven days will be the 12th. So my next list is where I put that one that Dottie just gave me. Because on the night of Uda is when my list expires from the previous week. So I can keep my stuff a little bit separated out. Boy, I'll tell you, when you go back and you look at something that you wrote like three or four weeks ago, if you keep notes, some of that stuff, was right in the front, and you were thinking about it, researching it, et cetera, and then it just disappears out of the news. Nobody's talking about it. And you go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. They're trying to keep us busy right now, I think, so that we don't remember everything or we don't remember the important things. So I've stopped watching as much TV news or anything. I don't really watch it a lot anyway, but I've stopped watching as much of it like the Sunday programs and stuff, because it's just distraction. It keeps you from looking at what's going on. (laughs) There's plenty in Maine. We don't really have to look too much further at this point. Maine is where we can have the influence. And I I do notice that when I go to some of the um, online programs and uh, talk shoes and things like that, that people are noticing Maine. Why Why would they come here? Why would people from other states care about what's happening in Maine? And I think it's because they see something's happening here. We're not just letting the wheel roll over us like some other places. So, All right, so let's see. Yep, as soon as you find you became the creditor of the bank, never disclose that very important piece of info. I knew about a lot of this stuff, Tim. I remember studying on that. Tim is one of the people in the chat right now. Um, I understand a lot of that stuff. I never went into it all because I felt like um, even though the standard for mortgages was a certain way, my stuff was like convoluted. We bought it on that particular house. We bought our um, we bought the house through Key Bank, and almost immediately the mortgage was sold. They're not supposed to do that, so I knew that the mortgage had been passed around a few times. We paid various entities for it. We bought the house probably in the early 80s, 
So even that, I mean, it's just the uh, mortgage, the mortgage settlement that they put forth in the different states was supposed to take care of it all. <coughs> and every time I heard that, I'd go, "Not for me. I'm keeping my rights." Fraud is still fraud. Sorry, you can't just sign away the, uh, you know, your your uh, liability in that. You can't just say, "Oh well." It's all good now because we paid a settlement to your state because the fraud didn't take place to the state. The fraud took place to me. I'm the one that had the harm. So I always say I'm keeping my rights. The fraud was against me. So Now I forgot what I was talking about. Probably I've talked too long now. Anyway, I don't know. Um, is there anything else that you feel like we should talk about tonight that's important. We're waiting on some different um, clarifications or cases or whatever in Maine regarding our governor. And then we've got Field saying that, <laughs> Field McConnell talking about the Boeing uninterruptible autopilot and the also the um, ATI system in, in uh, airliners that puts the passengers to sleep or can possibly kill them. Um, that's been exposed many times, mostly by him, though. But if you fly in airplanes, you should be aware of the fact that your airplane that you're in could be taken over by uh, an electronic system and that the pilot can't do anything about it. That's why it's called uninterruptible autopilot. Um, it's like taking over the controls as you would with a drone. And the system that is in the airliner that can tranquilize or incapacitate the passengers was supposedly put in in case of like emergencies so that people wouldn't panic. But you can also kill people with it, apparently. So have a nice flight to Hawaii on your next vacation while you wonder if you've got somebody on your airliner with you that the shadow government doesn't like and you're just kind of along for the ride. So sorry you picked that flight. Uh, um, we got that going on. So, and then the stuff with the banks and the money. So we're just having a blast, and the weather won't quit either. And nobody wants to hear about that either. They don't want to know. But you know, it is March, and having it be freezing cold and snowing in Texas is kind of bizarre, don't you think? They can do that. So. Anyway, I guess I'm all done for tonight. It's been a couple hours of me blabbing. I think that's long enough, don't you? <laughs> um, so I guess everybody can go and live their normal life, look into what they know about, and report back. Let other people know that you think might need to know. I sent some information this week to someone I know personally regarding what Field had to say over in the United Kingdom at his conference, and I uh, haven't heard anything back from that particular friend, and I thought I would. I said, you know, here's some information I thought you might relate to, and uh, don't tell everybody in my family because they already think I'm nuts, and he liked the fact I sent it to him, but I haven't heard a thing since. So I don't know if it scared him or he doesn't want to talk about it or what, but he's a pilot. 
was a pilot, commercial pilot. And um, I don't know the reason why he isn't now, but it's upsetting to him. So something happened, obviously. Anyway. So I guess that's it tonight. Unless um, I don't know whether Desert Pete was calling tonight. I didn't see him indicate that he was going to call or not. I don't know what they're talking about now. They're talking about, uh, oh, James can say the ground will interrupt any autopilot. Yeah, they will, too. Oh, it's your birthday. I'd sing to you, Desert Pete, but I sing the baritone of the four-part harmony, so it goes something like this. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Pete, happy birthday to you, and many more. How's that? It's not the melody, but you could play it again and sing the melody and it would come out with some harmony to it, so... So, I see... 64, 64. Are you 64, Desert Pete? Because that's what all of our class is turning this year is 64. So One of my classmates this past week just said that she was singing that song, Will You Still, what is it, Will You Still Need Me? Oh, how does that go? You know, when I'm 64. Yep, I'll be 64 in July, so you're not that much older. So... I don't have a birthday cake um, icon. I don't know how to do a birthday cake icon, so what will I send you? I guess just a little twisty drink. And if you don't drink alcohol, you can just have a like a non-alcoholic twisty drink with fruit in it, like cherries and stuff and, and uh, grapes and stuff like that. July 10th, number nine. Telstar Day, also Nikola Tesla's birthday. So, some other people too. Who else? Arthur Ashe, David Brinkley, uh, about five people that I know personally have the same birthday. I thought that was funny because they were all, I know them from all kinds of different places. But, yep. All right, then. I'm just rambling now. So everybody have a good night. And uh, sorry I blabbed so long and read so much. But some weeks there's tons going on. Some weeks it's just a bunch of my opinions and not much else. But let's just say that um, the message that I gave one of my friends that's very much into the sheltering of very poverty-stricken people in another state who was mounting an attack of people to come to the state of Maine and and uh, planned a whole, like, protest and stuff. What I said to her was, um, we know what the problem is, and we just may not agree on how to get to the solution. That doesn't mean that we don't see the problem or don't care about the problem. And that seemed to be okay. Let's move some things over. But we had some really strong opinionated, very upset people over the issue of 
general assistance and also on shelters, home shel home sheltering in um, organized type shelters that get funding from the public. And it, you know, it's one of those things where if you can see the fact that the system itself is harming people and putting them in that predicament and that the only way to really solve the problem is to stop the corruption regarding the funding, um, it's hard to talk to people about that because all they can see is the people suffering and having children in, in shelters is really, really bad. That That's the only life that these kids know is that they live in a shelter with a bunch of strange people that some of them belong in mental institutions instead. You know, we need to solve these problems, and we know that already. Um, some of these shelters started out with good intentions. We have one here in Bangor called Mana. It was a soup kitchen. They were feeding people, and they were taking care of, of some of the issues that we had in town of, of very poor people with absolutely no assets at all. And I used to donate to that. We donated food to it. We donated money to it. And what happened was the place started expanding, and it started bringing in social programs. And social programs come with strings attached. You know, you, if you go for assistance and you want to be fed, um, they, were, they were using it like intake for mental health and screenings and social work and everything else. And once many of us saw this going on, we didn't want to donate anymore because now it's not um, help for poor people. What it is is a way for the local people to make money off of the problem. And so if they want to go back to the original idea of shelters and charitable foundations and things like that, I think they'd find that people would be more generous. Every little town should have a place somebody can go to if they need help. And that's just the way I feel about it how it used to be. There were churches that did it. There were groups that did it. And um, once we had people applying for grants, and yeah, you can have a grant. Find us this many people with these problems, and you can get this money, and that's what people started doing. They would find the people to get the money. So it do, to me, it doesn't make sense the way things are being done. And I value the friendships and relationships I have with people, and I try to have them see that it's not just it's not just an either or thing. Sometimes there's a you have to think in a different direction to get to the same positive re, positive resolution to the problem, which is that you don't want people in shelters to begin with. Why are they there? How'd they get there? So the the arguments that we're seeing in the media are really beside the point. <clears throat> Okay, so I don't know anything about the Falcon Jet, Desert Pete. Falcon Jet still offer table danger. I don't know anything about the Falcon um, Jet. So, all right, I'm going to end it. So I'm not just having a one-way conversation with myself. And you guys, I'll give you a couple minutes to share your links or say good night or share your email address or anything if you want to um, keep in touch with anyone or share anything, because that's why we're here. There's my email address. Like I said, no puppies, no kitties, no chain mail. Can't stand chain letters. Ugh. Okay.
All right. Thank you. Thanks for coming, all you guys. Good group.